The Protect Your Net Podcast, MMA Roundup. We talk past, present, and future MMA matchups, movies, and more. Strap in. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, boys and girls? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analysts' work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com. And on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, and it'll definitely be before the fights, because there are no fights this weekend, except for, well, no big fights, I should say. There's a Bellator uh, London car that, you know, uh, I will be talking about on this year's program. Did do a a little breakdown video, I guess, if you will, in the main event. (laughs) Not that it really needs it, because we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to why I say that, I guess, when we get to that matchup. Um, But yeah, it's crazy, folks. There's only, aside again... Not counting Bellator London or after Bellator London, I believe there's only three Bellator cards left for the year and only three UFC cards left for the year, which is insane. Kind of drops off out of nowhere. It's a great time uh, for, for for people like me and myself, not just because of the work-wise. I haven't had a UFC-free schedule since uh, a UFC-free weekend. This will be the first UFC-free weekend for me, considering I covered Contender Series um, since before summer started, so... Forgive me if I sounded run down on that end, which I believe, you know, in my fairness, I believe I <laughs> that's an excuse enough. But of course, um, you know, as well as the personal stuff, which was supposed to be happening, well, yesterday, I'm recording this here on a Wednesday afternoon, but yesterday my mom was supposed to have that big uh, brain aneurysm surgery. Um, I'm not going to get too much into that, but I, I figured I'd touch on it considering the last time I talked to you guys, I told you there would be no episode this week. Um, and we'd be taking a week off. We still may take a week off next week, but, uh, yeah, basically when you, you go through these crazy, um, surgeries, they need everything just right. The doctors, they need the blood levels just right. Uh, they need your blood thin for a certain level, not just for the, the surgery and cutting off the aneurysm. Also, so clots don't form generally six months to two years is an average. You're going to be on some kind of thinner medicine after you have these kind of surgeries. So they didn't like what they saw, so they're playing it on the safe side, which is a good sign. It just it just sucks, uh, you know, for my mom mainly, of course, and you know, um, we're all we're all pulling uh, with her and just waiting for this to get done. So thank you guys for your patience while I deal with that. I'm feeling much better though. I'm, I feel like I'm in a good good enough headspace to do this. Uh, I feel you know, a lot to be grateful for and um, a lot to you know a, a lot of uh, a lot to look forward to. So let's not lose sight of that, shall we? We should never lose sight of that, I guess, in general in life. So we're going to be looking forward to not just Bellator London. I'm also going to tease some future odds and ends on well as well on this show. And uh, we're going to also talk top 10 MMA fighters of the decade. Um, hopefully I'm not peeling back the curtain too much. But uh, I have to submit actually my top 10 MMA fighters. We all did for Junkie. We don't know who we submitted. I'm, I'm not sure what the article really will will essentially be. So I, I don't think I'm stepping on anything, nor am I trying to. But, uh, you know, when I said, heck, well, this doesn't mean I can't talk about my, my own top ten. 
um, you know, with, 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 the, with the podcast here. And I guess uh, we're not, not going to get too far into the weeds. It's not, you know, you guys can't conjecture back. You can, of course, at Dan Tom MMA or the podcast at the PYM podcast. I encourage it. But as far as in real time, I'm not switched over to YouTube yet, which is something else I'm thinking about doing with this uh, week off. I was supposed to do it originally, which which was when initially kind of the S hit the the proverbial fan there. But uh, but yeah. So and by the way, warning. I you know everybody's been waiting for the YouTube stuff, and I've been promising it, and I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really making this a goal, folks. It's going to happen. But just be weary, you know, like like last week's show, whether it's like fun edits like last week's show, or those of you. Who, for whatever reason, enjoy my my psychotic uh, impersonations and all those funny things? There's going to be a whole lot less of that of Dan Tom's on uh, on YouTube. There, I'm, I mean, I see what I see what the internet does. I see what y'all savages uh, in MMA Twitter do, and then more specifically, and you know, buddies, and guys I like, like Lord Honky Humongous, Mister Honky. There, uh, shouts to Mister Honky. Who does 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 uh, you know does his own version of the Lord's work, if you will, by posting those. Sweet MMA gifts. He's, he's a great follow on Twitter, but he'll also, I, I, and I'm not defending Shab, but man, I see what he does to Shab. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's easy definitely to pick on Brendan Shab as far as like his mispronunciation of things. But oh boy, like at the same time, I mean, you know, obviously Dan Tom's not afraid to criticize anybody when they deserve it, much especially Brendan. But man, to come to guys like that's defense as someone who does video, holy shit, it's tough. Um, and if I'm, you know, gonna switch over, and thankfully I'm not, I'm a, I'm a nobody, especially comparison uh, to people like a Brendan Shop. I'm a nobody, so thankfully I don't have a big audience listening or, or watching these things when I do make the transition. But, um, but man, uh, yeah, there's a plenty you guys can pick up of old, of old Dan Tom here. I mean, let's be honest, folks, you don't even need the video. I mean, you could take some of the audio, and you don't even need to take it out of context. Some of the stuff that I say. <laughs> to get me buried so i've already buried my grave essentially is what i'm gonna say i just don't want to you know be forced to see my you know my 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 stupid fat face mispronouncing things so i am not looking forward to that part of it uh but it is happening folks but just warning you i I, probably gonna be you know we're gonna lose a lot of the music create and some of the some of some of the more creative stuff uh in certain ways so wow dan way to promote a product you're not even delivering on i know that is the style here on this show, and uh, at, at the end, um, at the very end here, I'll probably segment it off like as a bonus thing. I don't know if you guys dug that or not. I'm actually, you know, I, I, I actually got some feedback. People listened to that. They listened the whole way through. I don't know why you did last episode, but thank y'all. Uh, the little feedback I did get, it was good. Um, but let me know if you guys like this little extra talk from time to time. Not always. But when I do it from time to time, it'll be at the very end. I guess is what I'm asking you, or eh, not really approval. I'm going to do or not do what I want to do, I guess, either way, right? But, again, this is, uh, I may be the head lunatic, but the lunatics run the asylum here, folks. You guys all know that by now. So that's essentially the basic run-through as we're seven minutes in what we're going to do, and it's going to start with, of course, a, a, a recap of UFC Sao Paulo. I know you guys, that's why you guys tuned in. You couldn't wait, right? Couldn't wait. Now, not enough talking points to be had about this card. Uh, of course, it was headlined by Jan Blockowitz, who defeated Jacare Souza in the main event. A split decision, 48-47, um, Not a surprise. Uh, it, was, it was a very slow-paced fight. Um, even people who suspected that it would go decision, even though I didn't pick that, or people who outright picked it, I don't know if we saw it being that slow, but, you know, it... it um, 
wasn't the most surprising thing. These things happen in MMA. But uh, I had it for Jan Blackowitz. Like I tweeted live, not much to say about this fight, but I felt that there was a quiet argument for Jan to get the third, you know, especially if we're looking at how damage is being prioritized, which is a good thing. I agree with. You just want it to be consistent, right? And, and, and I guess they were technically in a fight that really little happened. And, of course, uh, I saw Jan take four and five, as most people did. So can't be too mad. It sucks because they're probably just going to, you know, pair two of my favorite, you know, workman-like dudes who don't get enough credit, like Corey Anderson and Jan Blakowicz. They're probably going to make them fight each other again. And even though Jan is much better equipped to deal with Anderson, I also believe Anderson is, is obviously much better than last time. Uh, I think everybody can agree on those things. So, I don't know. I guess that kind of sucks. Um, it, it does, but it doesn't. I don't know. I'm, I'm weird like that because I, I want to see both guys have a path. But that's probably what's going to happen for my money. Shogun Hua got a split draw against Paul Craig. I didn't necessarily see the 10-8, but like, I'm not mad at it. Again, they really were prioritizing damage. So, there is going to be some overcorrecting on the steering wheel when we make that shift. You're gonna, you want an omelet, you're going to crack a few eggs. And I guess this was one of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, I, th I thought Craig gave it away at the end when he went for the takedown and went to his back, but, uh, you know, as far as the ground and pound aspect and, and Shogun having his best moments there, even though it was a clearly aged Shogun doing that ground and pound, um, it wasn't a surprise to me. I mean, you know, I don't know if it was, um, shots to naked gambling, the, the naked gambler. Uh, was was talking about it, but yeah, I mean, I talked about it here on this podcast as well. I mean, that's what I called it, called for his ground and pound. That's where he uh, he makes his money, and he traditionally has throughout his career when you really look at it. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, I don't know. They're talking about a rematch. I could I could care less. Charles Oliveira defeated Jared Gordon by by knockout. Um, I, again, I'm glad I didn't play it. Because, you know, again, subprop was juiced. And then, again, subprop failed for Oliveira because he's TKOing guys now. He's really putting it together. You know, again, I kind of talked about this uh, on the previous podcast, talking about he just – he's he always has had the weapons as far as on the feet, you know, uh, dating back to, you know, when he first came on the scene almost 10 years ago. And I said one of my first calls to Junkie Radio, I'm like, he just needs – a jab and certain boxing fundamentals to piece it all together and he's going to be dangerous and i talked about it on the last podcast where he seems to have found those especially the way he's throwing his uppercuts and it was a counter right that sparked it off but it was the uppercut that finished it off uh that, that, that finished it off and uh and man he is he is super dangerous so i think he's hopefully finally getting the attention he deserves and will be showed through the rankings or who, who he's you know matched up with ranking wise Excuse me. Um, yeah, uh, Andre Muniz uh, defeated Antonio Royal by unanimous decision. Very forgettable fight. Um, but yeah, Muniz got to his grappling kind of like uh, kind of like we thought. Uh, one of the only, the only fight uh, we got wrong on the night. Quietly did good on picks and, and plays as well. By the way, it went ten one and one overall in picks. One and zero in straight plays. Two for two in the parlay piece play. And 0 for 2 in props, but uh, we, we, we still did okay uh, with with everything else hitting there. But, yeah, this was the only fight I got wrong. But, in, again, my credit, this was on the avoid list, folks, for a reason. Uh, Terman comes through for you Terman betters. Uh, defeated Marcus Perez by unanimous decision. Um, the first kind of looked like how I thought it would be, which is why I leaned toward Perez. Again, he was more prepared. 
Uh, and he's shown cardio even in losses against grinders, so I figured that it wouldn't be as much of an issue as it was here, but not so much the cardio, just him not being able to p piece things together. You know, he was a... Uh, so I tweeted to, to my dude there, Zane Simon, I said, you know, Marcus Perez, a man who fights in layered imitations. I talked about that a bit on this podcast. You know, he fought like McGregor you know, on the regionals, does Joker at the weigh-ins, he does uh, Anderson Silva up elbows and stuff in there, backing himself up to the cage. But when those things fail, it was tough. Now, he did have the wall work and things I was talking about and showed all those fundamentals he needed against Terman. But, man, Terman is a tank. And uh, and uh, let's... We'll get to Douglas De Silva and DeAndraj <laughs> in a bit here. But let's just say, I think, you know, Usada might have took this card off. And uh, Terman was ready to go. He was fueled, man. His, his tank was fueled, I'll say that. But, you know, he brought the fight that uh, that I saw on paper, and, and, and perhaps I should have sided that way. Generally, I would sign with grinders and guys who do this. You know, again, I might have taken a shot on him against Roberson and biasly had it scored for – or on him against him against Roberson and biasly had it scored for Terman uh, as well. But uh, I probably would have took him here if, if it wasn't on such short notice, but it really didn't matter. This kid came in in shape and was able to get past um, – the weirdness of Perez and just work his work his games pretty clearly uh, rounds two and three even though really he got all three rounds so which I don't have an issue with but yeah uh all right James Krause came through that was a nice one that came through for us uh, as far as the leg goes Sergio Moraes I'm surprised he didn't blow up higher um and it probably would have been hindsight now that Krause you know getting 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 some deserved due here but yeah like like I said for everything everybody was questioning Kraus for of his inconsistencies kind of was again saying on this podcast here folks they I know I'm annoying but there are some reasons to listen I guess I do draw a nugget of truth here and there but yeah he, he that if it works for them and they're okay and honest with that again honesty especially for things that people consider vulnerable aren't necessarily weaknesses in fact some people like myself would consider them strengths and it was a strength for someone like James Krause. So good on him. And that was kind of ugly to watch with Mariah's, you know, obviously flopping and, and whatnot. But Krause gets it done inside. Uh, Ricardo Ramos comes through and treats Luis Eduardo Gregori appropriately. It looks like him and his camp took the stand-up that we were talking about very seriously. And even though I was weary, this felt like a trap fight. Uh, I ultimately did pick Ramos for, like I said, because even though I, things are much closer on the feet than the odds indicate Ramos not only had the better jiu-jitsu but even better wrestling and uh, working with a lot of grapple heavy wrestlers uh, over there at Team Alpha Male paid off here Francisco Maserandupa Trinaldo defeated Bobby Green defeated uh, by unanimous decision again I, I, I called it by knockout but I know I was drawing some eyebrows which uh, deservedly so I don't I don't blame anybody people I respect every uh, and people just unanimously thought this was going to be a boring fight and I could see why I just the way I saw there's styles breaking down as I broke down on the podcast last week I saw it being much more exciting and even though it went to decision I feel like that first round and the overall fight did, did kind of prove me right in the sense that um, Francisco Trinaldo definitely showed his knockout potential and both of them showed their exchange potential that I was talking about but also even more specifically you know, the, in the game planning weeds whether it was part of the game plan or not but as far as the ebbs and flows of the fights the path to victories I did say Bobby Green was going to have to get Masaranduba to exert energy early to grapple. Um, he got him to exert energy both ways because he got excited from rocking Bobby Green and also got him to grapple. 
Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't enough to persuade the judges because, again, another reason why I took Trinaldo, even if it went to a decision or if it was a close, boring fight, because not just because they were in Brazil, but my whole scorecards uh, theory, which I've laid out many times before, using Gedelia, um, Jan Jacek won, uh, and uh, as I use that advice for a lot of, th- or use that example for a lot of things, but how it kind of parlays into judges' perception and human bias when they see things they don't like. And um, Bobby Green's style just attracts a lot of that. You know, like I said, with his, with his, with the way he, from the way he slips to his lackadaisical approach to defense to his more vocal things that people perceive as being cocky, but I don't. I, I enjoy it. Um, I don't feel it's disrespectful, cocky, or it's a part of his style. Uh, so it's a shame because Bobby Green, kind of like uh, my dude Nolan King over there, retweeted one of his tweets. You know, he's one of those classic examples. Like his record is way, or he's way better than his record indicates. So that was that was uh, that was tough to see. And you know, Trinaldo's been on the wrong end of bad decisions too, and he's just a fucking class guy. So it was really cool to see. You know, he was just immediately sympathetic and trying to give love to Bobby Green. Uh, he called out. Barboza, which would have been a really bad matchup, I think, any time they met, except for maybe now. Um, but Rand- Masa Randubu would need to do much more of his pressuring approach, much more of his older style with his newer skills um, to be successful in that fight and hope that the wars really are have caught up to Barbosa uh, in fold and such. We'll, but, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see. I think Barbosa's booked anyways. Randy Brown defeated Warley Alves. Came through there by submission. Triangle choke. Um, I, I, I didn't definitely didn't call for triangle choke, but I can't say I was fully surprised. Not just because I was biased and betting him and da-da-da-da, but um, because, again, you know, uh, Randy Brown uh, has been able to, you know, grapple with guys like Mickey Gall. Say what you will about Mickey Gall as an MMA fighter. You know, as a grappler, there is a metric there that is respectable when you're able to beat and compete with him and in that realm, uh, a fighter in their strength, so so forth. Um, and Randy Brown, again, like I was talking about, he's had submission victories, specifically guillotines, which was would come in handy as far as defense against Worley and his confidence in getting up and giving his neck to Worley when he had to. Um, but he's been getting submissions since he was an amateur, so... Uh, Randy Brown has never really shunned from that side, uh, from that side of that that part of the fight, um, and, and of course you know the length and all those other things, which kind of which kind of showed there. He uh, was able to stun Worley before even get him with those knees. Again, was talking about those knees. It was really hard not to see those, uh, which kind of started off before he got the submission. Then he does the thing I love to do, which is hook the leg. I know a lot of coaches will will scold you. I, I've been scolded, especially when it's MMA. Um, trying to hook the leg for triangles because of course for good reason because they can just sit on your arm and the glove and your hand gets trapped because the glove uh, acts as a trapping so a lot of times I'll recommend maybe you just use an underhook to kind of get that angle and you grab under there under their uh, armpit um, between their Latin tries area uh, but yeah he went with the old leg hook to cut his angle and that, that's what allowed him to finish the triangle choke you don't really Need the arm across. You really just need that angle. The arm will fall into place and maybe even give you an arm bar 
if you're one of those players, like Damian Maya's old triangle arm bars, he used to get back in gi and no gi. It was uh, he'd hook, hook the leg. He'd have like an underhook on their leg, and then he'd have like an overhook on their arm. So he'd have the arm bar. He'd have the leverage to tip him, and then his legs would be choking the shit out of him. It's just it's a fantastic position. Um, when you fall in love with it, Douglas De Silva Diandraj bringing everything but the denim jacket to heaven and brow by unanimous decision. 327, 30, Only 110A. They probably all should have been 3026s. He barely got out of there, you know. I, I don't know, man. Douglas Silva, he doesn't seem like a guy that takes shots off his punches, but the respect he showed and admitted to after, you got to wonder if maybe that's the only reason why Hennon survived is because, you know, Hennon, he looks good for about one round, and then he just has flashbacks to the Dillashaw knockout, and he's just reliving all the, the horror, the horror, the horror. Like he's just seeing Marlon Brando and flashbacks from fucking Apocalypse Now. Um, and Douglas is still, I mean, did just Nivinsky just take this card off? Like, what happened, man? Like, Douglas Silva Diandraj comes up from bantamweight and looks like he brought all light heavyweight muscles with him. Like, it was ridiculous. Like, I was, I read my, la- my notes here, like, hilarious mus- muscles. Like, I was comically audibly laughing just just looking at his muscles like when he pushed Hennon against the cage and his and his fucking back flexes i'm like jesus fucking christ even bisping was like oh i wonder what i want to talk to this guy's nutritionist like it was i I, i've never like i felt like i was watching fights i was i was telling uh when i saw john morgan this week i was like john i feel like i was watching fucking fights in 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 brazil circa 2013 here like those rooms were goddamn ridiculous (laughs) like I just, I mean, I just was laughing. I was seriously watching the fight, and if there was a camera on me, I was just giggling like a schoolgirl. Like, it is muscles, it is molly, not even. I'm just, uh, the inside of the distance did not hit um, on that one. Neither did it with Blocka, which those were the two props that I missed. But Douglas Silva D'Andrade did come through as the par leg, leg piece with uh, Kraus for 1.06. I guess like two, two or three times I forget. To put my decimal point, I think I tweeted like plus one. Not that anyone had an issue. I, mean, I think everybody kind of gets what I'm trying to say there. But yeah, it was one point oh six. I'm a bad Asian, folks. I don't use the. De- I forget to bring the decimal points where they're supposed to be. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm only half, so I'll, I'll blame the other half for being bad at math there. <laughs> Ariana Lipsky defeated uh, Isabella Di Padua. Uh, not much to say about that fight. Tracy Cortez defeated Vanessa Mello. Um, not much to say about that fight. And that was kind of uh, the card. Oh, by the way, speaking of the Brazilian muscles, this was actually a note that's apropos to that, and I forgot to do on the Sao Paulo breakdown episode. But like one of my favorite tape study tropes is um, when you're going through fighters' Instagrams, and it's the Brazilian fighters. And ironically, it's usually the ones with a lot of muscles. And they always have that photo with, like, they're next to the doctor. The doctor's in the lab coat, and they're both giving the thumbs up. I'm like, come on, guys. Can we can we be a little more descript? Thanks for my doctor for getting me healthy. Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I'm not thinking I'm Brazil. But it's just if you, if you do enough tape study like me, you just the, – none of the other fighters from any of the other countries are taking pictures of their doctors. And um, it's just – it's just – I don't know. It's just funny. Uh, all right, folks. Um, let's. Uh, I'm fighting my bladder here, but <laughs> TMI, Dan. You know what? This probably shouldn't take long. I'm going to pull up some odds here for Bellator London and just kind of odds for the fights cards in general. Uh, we're going we're gonna to peek over at uh, 
the next UFC fight card. They already have OBS up for it. I'll tell you what dog, what, what ma- I don't want to say what dogs because I didn't make picks yet. I don't want to. I don't want to send you guys in the wrong direction, which is why I don't like releasing my podcast until my analysis is done. Um, otherwise, you release false information. You just keep feeding your biases. You feed other people wrong information and risk sounding like everybody else because you're going off basic information. So, uh, but at the same time, uh, something I have to remind myself is that you know. I'm not the best, nor do I claim to be or anything like that or accurate. But at the same time, I watch enough of this and been doing this long enough. And otherwise, I wouldn't be in the position I am, I guess. But, uh, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I should respect my opinion a little more, even if it's the uh, off-the-hip opinion. So I'm going to give you guys some off-the-hip opinion stuff that I kind of clarified that in my own weird way. Because, I, as you can hear, I'm very awkward saying anything positive toward myself, even if... That's not the point of it. All right. Um, oh, go to Bellachor first. Sorry. All right. Uh, I guess Bellator London's being headlined by uh, Michael Page, who's minus 12,000. Gianni Melillo, plus 775. Uh, Melillo's been KO'd four times, uh, or his only four losses. This guy's a do-or-die fighter. Uh, he's very strong, but he most gets most of his shots off the break when guys are close or make a mistake because he's just very choppy kickboxing in Muay Thai. Doesn't show much semblance of a ground game. Uh, John Morgan called his first uh, KO loss, actually, over in Venator. Decent amount of fights, but you look at them, they all have been since 2015, pretty much. So it's like the dude just kind of rush started his career. But he's like 34, which as someone who's 34... You know, I can tell you, it's not like you have much time, so good on him in that case. He's overachieving, but yeah, I don't know why the fuck Bellator is booking this kind of stuff. I know he wasn't the original opponent, but goddamn, I don't think he was much better offhand. Fabian Edwards, minus 325, Mike Shipman, plus 265. I didn't really do much tape studying in this one, but uh, I do agree that Edwards should be the favorite. I don't think it should be by this much uh it's more interesting because i guess these guys have some heat and history i think this match should have happened don't quote me on that in fact who you should follow um just in general is a smart guy in mma but this is actually specifically his beat because it's his area simon head our own simon head and mma junkie i believe simon at simon head or at simon head mma you give him a follow there it'll pop up he's a verified account there on twitter but he's always i always respect his opinion in general but uh Especially for the beat that the man is is, is 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 one of the beats I should say the man is assigned to work. He he knows his stuff, so uh, he's a good follow there for for, for that side of the world. Uh, Soren Box, a guy I'm familiar with, stoked to see him come over. Uh, he's getting some respect as a minus one forty favorite. Some money looks like it came in for uh, Terry Brazier Brazier <laughs> plus one twenty. Um, but uh, but yeah, I just you know Brazier. He's, 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 I think he went to like a split decision with uh, I think some. Respectable guys, like I want to say Alex Lahore, if I'm getting that name right, the guy who, or maybe, uh, or he went with a split with Dalby. Either way, he fought Dalby, and that's how he came on my radar. But then you look at the loss, and even the win, um, Terry got in Bellator. Um, it's not inspiring, especially when you look at a guy that's going to make, who likes to make things gritty, dogfights, and, and uh, just capitalizes much better in the grappling department, and will take your back if you let him, which is Soren Bach, so... I think Soren Bach gets um, gets that done uh, there. Um, let's see what other fights are uh, 
what other fights are listed on that? Anything else worth talking about before we move on here? Um, Chris Leary, Tim Watt, Takazada, Lewis Long, Denise Keelholtz is back. Can't Knuff, can't Knuff. Yeah, it's not much, not much to really talk about here, folks. So let's go to uh, next week. They already got odds up. Looks like Alistair Overy minus one twenty favorite in Washington D.C. with Jair, the mensch with the pinch, Rosenstrach. plus one hundred. He's getting a lot of respect as uh, coming in on Rosenstrach. A lot of respect, Michael. Uh, sorry, you know I love my Rosenstrach, man. And I think it's like Rosenstrike, but. God, I already fucked it up, didn't I? For me and you, right? Listeners of the PLN podcast. So we're going to keep it to Rosenstruck. Um, I don't know, man. Like, part of me says, you know, you know, kind of like uh, one of my... God, God forbid I'm going to give myself a credit on a, on a correct call, but one of my more correct calls, probably one of my favorite calls, just because, like, as far as, like, writing in a breakdown and citing historical stuff, I try to do it when I can. And this one just worked when um, Ninganu went to fight uh, now I'm not saying Rosenstroch is Nganu. Uh but when Nganu went to fight over him, and I compared it to um, when uh, Sonny Liston came up to fight um, Patterson, and uh, it's funny because Patterson actually, you know, handsome, handsome fucking devil, right? Uh, athletic as shit, uh, you know, one of the legendary boxing heavyweight champions, folks of the nineteen nineteen sixties, there early nineteen sixties, and. Uh, He actually kind of resembled Overeem. And then you just had, you know, he wasn't cut like Ningano, but you just had this, you know, uh, just just dark brooding character. Um, and Liston's an interesting guy, so I use that that word in, 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 a, couple, in a couple ways. Um, I think there's a new documentary coming out on him. I've, I've watched a whole bunch of them on Liston. Really, one of the more interesting guys, at least for me. Um, as far as catching up on boxing stuff, but yeah, uh, and uh, you know, Customato who trained Tyson famously, right? Um, he was an old school guy. He, he made his name before Tyson, clearly. And one of the those fighters was 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 Patterson, and Cust knew that for all Patterson's skills, you know, he had he had a chin, he had the chin of a poet, as they say. Um. And I forget how I worded it in my breakdown, but, uh, you know, he's going to have all the skills everywhere, but it's just going to take that one shot, and it did. Um, now, maybe that's what people are seeing here, but, you know, guys who prove to have that one shot, like, you know, Pavlovich. Um, I took over him against Pavlovich, who Pavlovich has since proven that, hey, it's okay, he's not, he wasn't all hype and a pumped-up bad record. There's there's something, he's not the a world beater, the next world champion, obviously, but there's skills here, right? Um, but I picked Overeem against Pavlovich because, again, I feel like you have to have that that clinch and takedown defense, and and uh, maybe Nganu didn't at that time, and we just didn't know it. It was just only one exchange, and Overeem got scared off. But uh, if Overeem get on top of you or in the clinch, he's still he's still one of the best clinch fighters ever at heavyweight. Him and Josh Barnett, I, I have them at the top of the list. Of course, uh, even guys like Randy Couture, of course, I'm going to give credit to. But, yeah, Barnett and Reem, man, the best clinch fighters. So that's what I'm going to be looking for in that fight when I do my tape study. So interesting, you know. Do I you know, do I end up siding with a Rosenstruck? And if you do end up siding with a Rosenstruck, you're getting plus money. Why not? 
But <laughs> if uh, if things look the way I think in my head, this could be one of the few times where maybe you look at the other way. But I don't know. Either way, it's heavyweight, so I really wouldn't recommend either way. But this is this is gonna be playable on both sides, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, Aspen Lad faces Yana Kuniskaya. Right now they got Aspen Lad as a minus one fifty favorite. Yana as an underdog. I think that's about right. Um, Kunitskaya has shown some improvements, but she's not uh, uh, as dangerous or as powerful as Lad's last opponent. So if Lad can push past that offense, I still think she probably is the stronger grappler, which is why the line is the way it is. Ben Rothwell, minus 140 favorite over Stefan Stroop, plus 120. Uh, not just heavyweight, but again, older. So you two compromised heavyweights and older heavyweights as opposed to just one, which is the main event, right? So this could be... A stay away, but I definitely agree that they have favored for whatever that's worth. I'm excited for this one. Uh, I think money keeps coming in on Yadong. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Song Yadong. Yadong Song minus uh, 190 right now against Cody Stamen, who's training over at Stream Couture. Plus 165, the comeback on Cody Stamen. A, a neutralizing, defensive, stymieing, stymieing Stamen, as I would say. Really good at counterfighting. He's got kicks. So he can play kicks at range offensively. He can, can counter with them. Counters really well with the hands and the, the reactive shots. Tough to take down. Um, but if you can abuse those wrestling positions, Warrior Turtles to rebase like uh, Aljo did, there are things there, but that was Aljo. That was Aljo's long frame. And Yadong, though he is... Very athletic and dangerous from topside. I don't see him as a methodical back-taking uh, spider monkey. So when I'm breaking this fight down, I'm going to be looking at a, a lot of the striking styles and how those how those stack up. Yeah, we're going to see uh, what Yudong does against a guy who counters him and what that could potentially do to this fight. Could actually make for a really slow... Deceptively slow fight. Chris Fishgold, minus 170 over Billy Quarantillo, plus 150. Um, I, I, Quarantillo training up with Ray Longo and all those cats up there, uh, training a lot with Ally Quinta. I, uh, again, it, like I kind of tweeted, it's crazy. As somebody who covered Contender Series, was there live covering it, would do not the most thorough research, not like I do on this podcast, admittedly. I did very light research, folks, very light, but still did research enough to do a preview show. After would cover set events, would rewatch fights at least once because I would have to do a grading article where I write about said fighters, and I still forgot about pretty much everybody. I had to go back and either read and, which I would do anyways, obviously, and watch a fight or two before, like... Everything started coming coming back to me. So I had a look at that one. And I liked Fishko before. He's uh, done me well. He's also come up short. Um, this will be a fight I'm looking at. But uh, off the top of my head, I don't disagree that Fishko should be favored. This next fight will be a one I'm looking at. Again, folks, I don't want to say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the dog here. But we'll see when the breakdown. We'll, we'll, I'll have an official breakdown episode. But... This one, uh, let's just say this one piques my interest. And you you can figure out what I'm saying when I say that. Um, but that doesn't mean, it, this could be a really close one too. Again, Marina Rodriguez is someone I've been wrong about. 
And uh, she's been showing her mettle that she is a player in this division. Uh, which is enough to get her a minus 135 favorite here over Cynthia Calvillo with a comeback of plus 115. Interesting to see where the line goes on this one. Again, aggressive gra- aggressive grappling types and veterans. You hate going against that, but Calvillo, she's shown she can maybe strike more than she really needs to be doing. That said, I got to go check what she's doing. I I don't know if she's out with Team Alpha Male or not. She I don't think she is anymore, you know. But that might doesn't mean she's not training with like CSA, which recently partnered with Team Alpha Male. I think she was training at CSA before that partnership came about, and they generally uh, they got a lot of good striker strikers and MMA striking from me over there. So we'll see. Uh, Rob Font minus 130 over Ricky Simon Vato. You know I got me love for Rob Font and the New England cartel. But I'll be honest, seeing Ricky Simon get kind of undervalued again in dog money, this this one I'm going to be looking at too, folks. I love Rob Font. Um, but I, And Ricky Simon, dog money aside, I always kind of worry Rob Font is a favorite too. I just feel like... A, I want to see him get a run put together. He always, they always throw him right back into these big matches after he gets a good win, and then that's kind of made his consistency very difficult. Not making excuses for him or saying that's why. Just my off-the-cuff opinion, folks. Um, Bryce Mitchell, or Matt Sales, minus 115 over Bryce Mitchell. I think that adjusted because I want to say Bryce, or it was like dead even. And it makes sense. I'm big on Matt Sales, but I think people were maybe too heavy on him and then took the gas off. Whereas Bryce Mitchell, like myself, just people just way just thought he wasn't going to give anything. And then he, you know, Arkansas motherfuckers. Uh, and he overperformed. So um, there's just a little bit of that. There's been some over, there's overcorrecting the steering wheel arguments on both guys, which always make for a tricky line. So it'll be interesting to see where that one moves. I'm not in a rush to play either guy, but uh, there may be some hindsight value on sales, so we'll see if that line, and if there is, then that line will probably continue to push his favor. Joe Selecki's a big favorite over minus 260 over Matt Wyman plus 220. I think Joe Selecki is a guy who looks like Kenny Florian, right? At least that's what I compared him to in my um, contender series breakdown. I'm pretty sure he headlined one of them. Uh, and if it is the same guy, that means his specialty is jiu-jitsu, which just comes in handy against another guy whose specialty and strength is jiu-jitsu, Matt Wyman. Uh, and Matt Wyman, of course, just for whatever reason, doesn't really do media. We don't know what he, where he's been. So who the fuck knows? So I get that line, but especially if it just keeps going any higher, even as high as it is, even 200, even if it was minus 200, I, I'm staying the fuck away from that fight. Um, yeah, you got to make Matt Wyman a... Even I don't even know if I play him as a ridiculous dog, but yeah, you'd have to make Joe Selecki a playable favorite, which he is not. Tim Means minus two thirty, which is always like the death number for him. Anytime Tim Means is in that minus two thirty level, I feel like he loses in the like matchups he should always win for the most part. Tiago Alves, I'm excited to see this fight. Tiago Alves has got a dog in him, man. Um, but I think Tim Means is going to piece him up, and uh, I don't think Tiago Alves is going to have that one shot. Uh, power like Nico Price has just shown so many goddamn times that it's just part of his genetic compound. Um, so I'll I'll, I'll I'll probably definitely be going Tim Means there. Uh, maybe I'll throw him in a parlay or something. We'll see if uh, if I 
of my confident as I usually am with Tim Means, and it just always bites me in the butt. So I may, I'll probably still end up picking Tim Means, but I, I, I doubt I'll be playing him. We'll see. All right. Um, Virina Janadroba is currently hanging out as a minus two thirty favorite over Olivia Hinata Souza plus one ninety. Um, I guess that makes sense. Both girls are are, are scrappy, but ultimately uh, it's the jiu-jitsu where they're strengthened, but Verna is more accomplished outside MMA, and her game is a little more tight and, and a little more. She controls the scrambles, I would say, a little better offhand, but I, these are two girls. I are just Invicta fucking in one ear, out the other for me for the most part, so I got to really go back and watch. Go back and watch that one. Um, and lastly... Uh, Mahmoud Muradov, uh, I believe he's taking this fight on somewhat short notice, um, but uh, he's a minus three twenty favorite, and nonetheless against Trevor Smith, the old dog, and uh, plus two sixty. I'll be interested to look at that one. Uh, even if I pick the favorite, I wouldn't play him. But Trevor Smith, that guy, will surprise you. We'll see though. He's he's got miles on him. Colby's a plus one sixty dog, huh? Usman minus one eighty five. Um, honestly, I- I'm leaning toward toward Colby. You know. Uh, 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 you know, I know people that know me like, oh, biased toward Colby because you know, you know the guy or whatever. But like, I just think that the bias is too strong the other way for people that hate Colby and it's playing into the line. Usman's been undervalued and he's just a solid fighter through and through. But I don't. I think his cardio is is, is himself will be really be tested against Covington because. You know, Usman doesn't have the knockout power or the countering threats on the feet. And even if he is winning out wrestling, I don't see him jumping for Colby's back. Um, and I don't see Colby allowing him positionally. Colby's too technical. He scrambles too well. And his cardio is too good to be seceding long portions of damage periods. Now, if he does, that'll be his best key, right? If we see him able to do that early, that'll say a lot. But... You look at it, like, is Usman's cardio that good? We've only seen him in that five-round fight, and that was good. That was really good cardio. Um, but Woodley, not to make excuses to take away from Usman, it's hard to say he looked physically, mentally, performed, sounded going in, going out for both different reasons. Like, all of it was off. The focus on the rap thing, this, that. The, the interviews after, the the way he looked physically. Again, all these things were off and not trying to take away from Usman. But you also think, you know, I, I believe he was coming off somewhat of a layoff and some injuries, maybe a surgery or whatever. But now who's coming off the layoff? Now who's coming off the surgery? That's Usman. Who's been fresh, traveling, working, training in the shadows when he's not doing his stupid shtick? That's Colby. So, man, I, uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Uh, right now I'm leaning toward Colby and, uh, if I end up picking Colby, and if the public ends up pushing against him as as much as I think, maybe one of the rare, another one of those rare times where uh, Dan Tom takes a, takes a trip to the, um, goes out of his way and 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 um, goes to an actual book. We'll see. All right. Um, again, this is just early leans, folks. So fully appreciate it, but don't don't run to the bank on these things. I still have to do my. I still have to run these fights to the proverbial comb. Uh, also at that T-Mobile show, UFC 245, you got Max Holloway sitting at minus 170 over Volkanovski plus 150. I think w- these odds will probably see something close to these all the way through, or at the very least we should. 
I believe that those lines are very fair and indicative to the chances of winning and the outcome. Uh, right now, I'm leaning toward Max. Um, it's just hard to see anybody outvoluming him or taking him down, especially after he's had the Frankie Edgar and Brian Ortega. He's successfully cleared those hurdles as his last two tests at featherweight. Um, it, uh, you know, I've talked about Max Holloway's risk controls, takedowns against the fence, which is where Volkanovski's strong, and even his awareness of getting his head snapped down, which is something you also have to worry about with Volkanovski. Um, Max combats those things really well, so I actually, um, I actually like Max there, but uh, I've always had respect for Volkanovski. I, I believe I picked him against Aldo, and I believe I pretty much picked him every time and have played him as well. Uh, when I when, when when playable, um, so so yeah, I like Max there. Um, Man of Nunes minus three ten, Jermaine Dumanami plus two twenty five. You know, I, even though I picked against Jermaine last time, I got respect for Jermaine. She's done well for me as a dog. She doesn't get the respect she deserves. She still gets demonized for that UFC two hundred eight shit, even though it was Todd Anderson's fault. Uh, and uh, Amanda Nunes, you know, she's she's the deserved goat, man. Uh, I, I I faded her before, but I, I give her I've been giving her respect. So um, I agree with her being the favorite, but at this line or higher, I definitely ain't playing it. We'll see if uh, we'll see where I side on on that fight. Ultimately, it's hard to not think she's going to use her ground edge. And uh, something I was trying to get Ali to say off record one of the times Ali Abdulaziz was in MMA Junkie Radio. Um, usually, I wasn't. Uh, you, you interview anything on record because whenever Ali would come in, he would come in with a giant posse and then he would demand to sit with them. So it would really mess with our seating arrangements whenever we do the show. But, you know, I'd, I'd chat with them between takes or whatever after. And, and, um, anytime he, Ali, Ali likes to brag about stuff. He's, you know, and, uh, likes to brag about what he knows and what's in the works. And, I'm no master interviewer, integrator, anything like that. So, but one of the things I, I, I know with people like that is you got to feed their ego. It's not that you can't ask things and they won't tell you. You just have to know how to ask. You have to ask it by feeding their ego. And he was talking about Kayla Harrison and, and how good she is. And he was like, no, you don't understand. I've seen her with the best in the world. And I'm like, oh, you're talking about American Top Team. Uh, her training there. Yes, bro. Oh, okay. So that means she's... Going with the best in the world. That's females. Yes, bro. Oh, okay. So that, that I mean, and she's taking these these you know uh, these girls down and da 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 da. And he's like, yeah, yeah. So you know, he he was insinuating that her and Kayla are training together, and that Kayla would get the better of the grappling. Now, obviously, fucking Durand. I mean, complete polar opposite of a. Kayla Harrison, but even if whether it's true or not, you got to imagine Amanda Nunes is still getting her grappling chops in. In other words, with high level females, so you got to like that from her uh, going into that fight. Um, I'll just rip through a couple more from two thirty five, and then we'll break. Come back with top ten fighters of the decade and some movie talk to close off, and we'll be done. Uh, Jan forty five over your your eye favor plus three eighty five. Wow, that's big, but I guess I don't. Don't blame it. Uh, Marlon Marais, minus 200 over Jose Aldo. I hate that this matchup's even happening. It's listed at featherweight. Um, which is apparently supposed to be a bantamweight. 
Wow. I guess I don't disagree because it's like Jose Aldo's going to be killing himself to try to make weight. For sure. Um, and yeah, uh, Jeff Neal, minus 255 for Perry. Wow, okay. They have all these matches. I'm not going to go through all these folks. But yeah, those are upcoming matchups and I guess upcoming leans. So uh, hopefully hopefully you dug that talk. Let me know if you like that kind of talk. You want more kind of future leans like this. If, if you appreciate this, please feedback, folks. I appreciate it. Whether you want to do public, DM, however, feedback is appreciated. So how about this? On this beat, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll briefly breeze through who I feel the top 10 MMA fighters are of this decade as well as some fun Marvel and movie talk right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast. Right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast. Touch on the top 10 MMA fighters of this decade, as well as some fun little movie talk to close out the show. Um, all right, so, yeah, basically I, I, I was asked to, we were all asked on MMA Junkie to submit our top 10 MMA fighters of the decade and, and kind of rank them. And um, I was, you know, I figure outside of, three or four everybody should have roughly the same fighters for the most part and just i guess the order is going to vary you know and it's tough right because how do you you know what is the greatest is the greatest of all time go pound for pound and those things are both subjective and both confusing because they're a bit different um greatest of all time is going to indicate accomplishments uh so which means record and, and duration all those, those, although are required and definitely will edge you ahead, they don't necessarily need to shoot you in the foot, right? When we're talking about greatest, um, or even pound for pound. Now, pound for pound, I always get upset is because people are all over the board for one with their pound for pound, which is subjective, so it's fair to be. But a, they don't talk about fighters who accomplish in multiple weight classes enough. I guess that is the one good thing about this champ champ era that fucking happened, which I dislike because it, it it made it much more attainable. And with all the new weight classes, it just, you know, it doesn't mean the same from the, I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's, it's not the same from the fighters who initially did it. Okay. But the good thing about it is it does make us look at that more when we're talking about pound for pound or even greatest of all time lists. Uh, what I mainly dislike about the pound for pound argument is that, you know, um, the speculation from it, you know, of course, boxing is a big strong foothold in it, but, you know, initially in the automotive kind of race industries, to my understanding is where the term really was, was really popularized. Um, you know, uh, when, uh, you know, Ford Chrysler, everybody was kind of going, you know, for everybody, it was going to, to war, you know, so to, so to speak on what was the best car, what had the most horsepower, but the best handling, how durable was it? How nimble was it? What was it off the line? You know, how did, how did it do off the line? What were all these things, you know, pound for pound, what makes a great car, right? They're, they're incorporating all different things. So it wasn't just this guy's a knockout artist, but could he fight well in the clinch? 
Was he really savvy off the ground? Maybe he doesn't necessarily have to be a guard player, but was he very submission savvy himself as in he could defend and execute from multiple positions? Uh, was he not just using the same hooks and punches? Was he actually using an educated jab? Was he a diverse striker, a unique striker? Those things don't win the argument alone, but they need to be incorporated kind of as a whole. For this one, I went more records, though, folks. I really went for more records and accomplishment. I really kind of kept it to the bone because when you look at it, it's crazy. Like A lot of these fighters have only lost to one, two, or three fighters the whole decade, which is insane. Now, injuries and activity varies, so you factor that in. But here's essentially... Uh, Here's essentially who 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 I had on my list. Number one, I put John Jones. Again, this isn't who I like, folks. If this was a, a list on who I like, John Jones might not even be on the list. But we're talking about greatest of, of honestly, you know, jokes aside. You know, you got to give the guy his due. Now, I know other people say, well, it's not about personality. What about the steroids and the asterisks? Well, that is true, um, and that does factor in with me. However. With the sport as well as with my own scale of likings and dislikings, I'd be a hypocrite if I were to say there isn't other skeptical athletes and there. You know, everyone's on steroids, so to speak. Obviously, there's some fighters where you'd like to think are not or I never used anything, but that is a really weedy argument. And the fact is, um, I don't even know if Matt Hamill was that even in. That might have been right at the 2010 mark. Or something, but uh, but yeah, I mean, aside from that or whatever, like the dude is, have you have you you know have you have you really seen the dude lose? You know, we we you know, yeah, the the, the first Gustafson fight was his closest scare until his last fight with Santos. But aside from that, like, when have you really? That's the closest we've came. You know, you got to put him there. I put Jose Aldo as my number two. It's crazy. Jose Aldo has only lost to Max Holloway, Conor McGregor, and Alexander Volkanovsky. In 10 years. And all those came somewhat recently. When you look at his career. Like the, this very end here. I mean the dude's career was stellar, was stellar. You know he beats Uriah Faber to start 2010 in April. Um, and uh, still shows that he can fight with the, the young competitive dogs. In one of the more competitive weight classes. And you know he's never took in ridiculous time off. Or anything like that. So he's always been there. So he really stands the test of time for me. Um. Who did I put for number three here? I wrote them down differently than I kind of submitted them. Uh, uh, but yeah, I put uh, I actually put uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov as number three just because, again, you know, strength of schedule. It, it, you know, he fought really terrible competition outside of the UFC, so it's hard to give him credit for that. But he's undefeated, and he's only fought better competition as he's gone along. And if the Tony fight happens, and even if Tony does does beat him that won't be till after to the next decade so Khabib Nurmagomedov is number three uh the most competitive division in my eyes and number four Dominic Cruz Dominic Cruz has only lost to Cody Garbrandt he only has one loss in an entire decade now I know there's a lot of time off in fact more time off in Dominic Cruz than any of the other fighters but if you look at it Dominic Cruz within the last 10 years he's won titles multiple titles in multiple organizations, multiple defenses, multiple miraculous comebacks. Um, setting style trends, being able to do analysts, which is a factor or shouldn't factor in this list. 
But I mean, but yeah, uh, Dominic Cruz is not getting enough get enough credit. You know, holds a head-to-head victory over Demetrius Johnson, which I bumped down to number five. Demetrius Johnson, you know, would usually I would think be in people's number two, number three spot. But I think we tend to give him too much credit. And I'm raising my hand here because I'm a Demetrius Johnson fan, but I'm also guilty of perhaps giving him too much credit. Um, and it's not his own his fault for his strength of competition, but he hasn't really done himself favors. Even though he's went went on and won outside of the UFC, he made that decision on his own. I mean, it was a trade, but still, you know what I'm saying. He he voluntarily made the decision. There's no gun to his head, and now he's having not the most compelling uh, fights or victories over sub definite subpar competition, indefensible competition, borderline. Um, and that's trying to be gracious to the fighters. They've not yet to have their chance, but still, it's really, really tough. Um, but, you know, D- DJ, I think he's only lost to Dominic Cruz and Henry Cejudo. Nope. He's only, he's, and it, also, in 2010, he lost to Brad Pickett to start off 2010. So he holds those three losses, whereas Cruz only has one and a head-to-head victory over DJ. I put Dominic Cruz, who doesn't get enough credit in general, uh, over Demetrius Johnson. Uh, so, Demi- so Cruz four, DJ five. Conor McGregor, six. Now, Conor, along with the person that's going to follow him, they're really getting a lot of their points for being who they are. Not just because who they are, because I'm not that kind of person. I'm contrarian, you know, contrarian Dan Tom. But you got to give them credit where the word's due. They're really, you know, I, I the number, the number speaking for himself. I just, uh, I just went on a rant on why I hate that in last week's podcast. But it's true. He, he really, the num- he really did bring the numbers, the sport, to a whole nother level. And, you know, accomplishing, although he didn't defend any of the titles, you know, getting multiple, being multiple champ in Cage Warriors, which is still thriving today, uh, and being champ champ in UFC, obviously, that, that's nothing to scoff at. So you got to give him, uh, you know, give him that credit at least, um, although he's been riding it into the ground for the most part. But that's that's another topic. Ronda Rousey, number seven. Again, I'm being very generous here, but... Again, giving credit where credit's due, not just taking to a new level, but she opened it for a genre. Now, there were female fighters and female fights going on and and people paving the way uh, in the female ranks, whether it was Mugumi Fujii over in Japan, Roxanne Modafferi jumping back and forth from Japan to America, you know, the Julie Kedzies, Julie Kedzies of the world, uh, Gina Carano, obviously, Chris Cyborg, you know, her reign goes from way back then. But Ronda Rousey made that bridge, man. She made the bridge. She took the sport to a ridiculous level of popularity, you know, getting some crazy Hollywood attention, making a step up the promo game and this and that. And went on a went on a rambunctious run until she, you know, lost twice and stopped. But uh she uh nevertheless, you know, only lost twice in the decade and did a goddamn lot for her little time she did. So, uh, number eight, Daniel Cormier. Again, you know his head. You know he he, he could have been maybe a, a, a spot or two higher, but I think for the way I'm doing this list, and then you also look at Daniel Cormier getting another loss on his career. Now John Jones isn't the only guy to beat him. Um, now you know uh, light heavyweight isn't the only weight class where he has a loss in. So that kind of hurts him there. Um, but he was a champ champ and just was a, was a force through strike force in the UFC. Uh, number nine, Max Holloway, just a real crazy run. And the guy started his career in 2010. So, I mean, he is 
a fighter of this decade more than anybody else because his career, I believe, actually starts in 2010. And he's only lost to three people as well, just like a Jose Aldo. He's only, and those three people are a, a Dustin Poirier, not three times, but three people, folks, because again, Jose Aldo's lost four times, right? But, but in the decade, but it's only been to three people. Uh, Dustin Poirier, which was twice. Dennis Bermudez, which he should have won. That was a split decision against him. He should have won that. And Conor McGregor, not too shabby. Not too shabby. So Max Holloway earns it at number nine. And I put Tony Ferguson as number 10. Obviously, I'm a T Ferg homer. But the guy's only lost once, which was a decision where he got his arm broken in the first round against Michael Johnson back when Obama's uh, Obama's second term, um, or Obama's first term in office. That's when that, that loss happened. That was his only loss in the decade. Of course, Tony has a, a loss or two, I believe, early in his pro career, but those, those were like in 08 and 09. So Tony has only lost once. In this decade. Um, and the honorable mentions who almost make the list is Amanda Nunes. But I think Rousey tops her for what she's done. Um, Amanda Nunes is a great record. She's going to be the greatest female of all time. I think that's a good enough rec for her. But as far as fighters of the decade, you got to f- put an accomplish there. And George Masvidal was the other one that gets the honorable mention. You know, he ends the decade of 2009 getting posterized by Toby Amata. And then he en- goes to end this decade in the complete opposite. So if you cherry pick from that perspective, it's impressive. But then if you just look at George's overall record, you know, even though he should have won a lot of those decisions, I mean, it's just there's red across the board all through, all through that, you know. And he, he, even though he has the BMF title and he fought for the Strike Force title in this last decade, he technically hasn't won a title in the decade. So George Masvidal does not make the list. Let me know what you think. That's that's crude or or, or what. Um, just a little movie talk uh, to close things off, folks. I don't want to keep it too long. We're already at an hour f- here. Um, but, um, but yeah, I just want to clarify. I know I, I come off strong with my opinions, but don't think for a second that I think my opinions are better than yours, better than anyone's, or any type of standard, or anything like that. Um, if I speak passionately about something, it's because it's just, again, it's something that I, I, I love have committed time to studied, been lucky enough to be introduced to at a very young ages, or maybe not lucky, depending. <laughs> but in no shape or form do I think my opinion is. In fact, again, I, I said this last episode, like, I could be wrong here, folks. I could very well be wrong on a lot of things. That would not be crazy. Dan Tom being wrong, I'm wrong all the time. I admit I'm wrong all the time. So feel free to come at me with what you think that I am wrong about or you agree on or just suggestions. It doesn't have to be red team versus blue team bullshit, which is what's kind of this whole Marvel versus movies thing have kind of uh, evolved into. I don't even know what the talk is. I just see what it is online. Of course, contrarian as Dan Tom would probably back. This will be one of the few red team versus blue team things I would throw my hat in. And I'd probably throw my hat in on. I definitely throw my hat in on the Scorsese side. But at the same time, it's. You know, I'm going to quote a uh, something. I was eavesdropping on a conversational that uh, Zane Simon had. I'm going to quote him, and he was having with uh, Andrew Lawrence at the Clown Kid. Who I love, I love Andrew Lawrence, man. Um, so I always got love for that for him. But uh, he he is, of course, real passionate comic book dude. He knows his shit, so uh, he knows what's up. But it, it, you know, he was kind of going on his own thing, just explaining. It's like, hey, you know, the people, you know. Art, Marvel movies, and da 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 da, uh, you know, uh, and uh, kind of just 
the red team versus blue team argument that's kind of devolved into, right? And again, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm from Team Nerd, so I'm Team Nerd all day. So in no way do I hate or anything like this on the Marvel or if you like it or I'm not hating on that at all, folks. Uh, but I just thought this was, a, I think it was really well said from from uh, from Zany as a reply. Um, he just goes, it sucks that this argument has gotten sidetracked into this, frankly, because it's not the version of the argument that needs to be had. It should be a question of whether or not we're happy having purely corporate, focus-tested, safe storytelling as our principal visual media. And uh, yeah, it's really well. That's really well said because yeah, it, it, it's it's not that it's it's crap. It's not that we shouldn't have it. Like there should be room for all this. And if they want to get needlessly elaborate with. The, with with things and creative with things whilst you know and making us jump through all these hoops it's just you know i mean you're into that that's fine but the fact that you know does this have to be our main form you know which it's kind of turning into it's popular culture it's how the studios like i said are paying their bills and um and it's tough you know like uh it's it's like for you know, for example, um, Damon Martin, uh, shots Damon Martin, another 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 dude uh, I respect, and you know, he, hell, I think he's got his own blog called Nerd, Nerdcore. Go check out his. He always posts stuff all the time. And I was reading one of his articles, and unfortunately, because again, I don't, I don't, I, I stopped following the Marvel stuff. I already figured out that I'm, even though I talk shit on on this stuff, I'm gonna give it the, I'm at least gonna give it the respect that um, I feel movies deserve because I feel like. It's funny, like for something so elaborate that you everybody has to consume, like the Marvel universe, it, it requires so much hoops to jump through, uh, and it and and it, it speaks to an audience that should be savvy when it comes to internet, um, how you conduct yourself with spoilers. I've never seen such a fucking disregard for spoilers ever. Oh my god! And uh, and again, I just praising my dude and giving a shot to a shout to Damon Martin and go check out his work and go check out that website. But at the same time, man, um, I hate it cause I was reading that article and, 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 uh, I, and, and I think my, my dude Damon's done this before where he's posed like a game of Thrones thing, but you know, it was like after the last episode of one of the seasons and it, and he used the, the still picture of the dragon shooting the glass thing. I'm like, don't do that. But that's the money shot that you shouldn't give that away. Just like all y'all talking about, Posting, you know, again, this kind of spoiler alert, spoiler alert for Star Wars Mandalorian. It's probably not a spoiler alert because you probably already know about it and people don't treat it like a spoiler, but it is. All you motherfuckers posting baby Yoda gifs, you know what I'm saying? Like, dude, that's, you know, that's like, that's a, that's a great, it was a, it was a great reveal. That was one of my favorite, I don't want to jump too far ahead here, but it's very similar. A lot of the talking points that I, I feel about Star Wars as well. The same with the Marvel Universe because we're turning everything into a fucking universe. These days, if you've heard of it, they're doing a Mattel universe. You know, again, you can like the, the Marvel universe, but you can't tell me that you don't see this corporate serialization. You can't tell me that that's a good thing. You can't tell me that that's cool. You can't tell me. I'm a fan of Mattel toys too, folks. I grew up in that fucking era. You can't tell me that it's the same fucking thing as Marvel. Marvel at least has comic books, literature, stories, substance, character. No. They're treating Marvel like Mattel with this Lego bullshit. They're just, they're treating you like fucking fools. They're 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 making you jump through all these hoops like the the, the Mandalorian like I'm glad that the, 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 there's some good things which we'll talk about that Yoda reveal was awesome which is why you shouldn't um, fucking post the baby Yoda things you know 
Uh, but I, 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 I hate, I hate that. I jumped. We jumped through the soup. We buy yet another streaming service, Disney Plus, and you advertise it. Your main flagship. You're dangling like a carrot. Ooh, the Mandalorian. The Mandal. You, you, you serialize the fucking thing. You didn't just make a goddamn movie. You can't because you can't make a, a movie. No, no, no. You you have to have filler and cor- you know fill out your fucking corporate checkbox. God forbid. Again, that's my whole issue with these universes and and the 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 the, the storytelling and stuff. That it's just very just safe. That kind of what Zane Simon put into better words than me is that it's that. Sorry, I'm, I'm. I know I'm jumping all over the place here, folks. I'm. It's hard to follow me right now, but it, it's that like you can't. What, whatever happened to that's what I'm. Whatever happened to shooting your shot? Like, wh- why can't you just make a fucking good movie, deliver good performances, have good writing, have good set design, have a good score, like all these things that make a movie? Like there are plenty of tests for you to pass. There are plenty of as a, as a filmmaker. Or as a, as a, you know, as a product pusher, to be speaking more general terms, right? There are plenty of rooms to be creative as an artist, as a creative artist. But I feel like all that's taken away because they're selling you the fucking brand. They're stringing it out in multiple episodes so none of them have to rely on the single strength of said episode. And to make it worse, which is a spit in the face to me, they can't even let you do... Which I know there's pros and cons and I had a good conversation with my buddy Goes. Like some people, you know, they don't want... Again, because... For whatever reason, we're speaking nerd culture is so popular, yet all the nerds forgot about not spoiling shit. But spoilers are so goddamn popular. So I guess the argument for not releasing all the episodes up front is because all the idiots that are posting the Yoda stuff and all the other spoilers are going to you know, give you all the other spoilers as well. I totally get that. And we've all been victims of that, right? But at the same time, that's the whole point of the digital age. That's the same thing back to MMA of why we get mad at Bellator, right? We're in fucking 2019. We're about to go into 2020. Uh, we, you, you made a, created a streaming service just to connect to your audience and give us this product. Why aren't you giving us this product? Why are we still having to pay money to jump through hoops, yet still having to jump through even more said elaborate hoops? You know? And, uh, and I'm also biased, too, because I don't you usually have time to watch stuff like a civilian, which is why... Unfortunately, you guys are stuck with me talking about more movies on my both my Twitter timeline and podcast. In case you haven't noticed, this won't be a, a normal thing. But yeah, like I, you know, I, I forget about even stuff that I follow, like Peaky Blinders, and they're good about giving you the, the catch up for dummies like me who have to catch up, so you don't have to rewatch everything. But it's like you almost have to rewatch shit by the time the next season comes out. Like, don't make me have to like string it along. Oh, can't wait to see what happens next week. Like, if we're trying to recreate that for nostalgia, then do it the right way. You know, if they were doing it for the right reasons and doing it the right way, then I'd be all on board for that. Yes, I enjoy waiting. Let's build it up. Kind of like what I preach here, right? Oversaturation's bad. Whatever happened to the old days where we built up to things. I'm all for it in that sense, but that's not what they're doing, folks. They're just stringing you along so you so you stay. If you do the free subscription and the seven-day trial, you're only going to get a couple Mandalorian episodes. you gotta, you got to purchase, right? So they're going to get X amount of people already with the Mandalorian. That X amount of percentage that they calculated will just be coming on for the Mandalorian. They have to combat that, right, from all the free trial traps that people will abuse and then they will disregard the service. How do they do that? Well, you serialize it and string them along. Holy shit, baby, what are they going to do this week, folks? And that's the thing. And the reason why I say Baby Yoda is a spoiler is because when I talk about why I don't watch trailers, folks, 
and why a lot of people who are really in the film have been taught or at least been given that exercise by a film teacher sometime not to watch trailers because trailers spoil the best things in a movie. If it's a comedy, they're going to spoil the best jokes. Um, if it's like the perfect storm, the money shot, it's not money, I'm not talking about that kind of money shot, folks, like the, the, the ship going up, up in the thing. Like that was the most action-packed thing of the whole damn movie. And they show it on the perfect storm. Or they just show too much like uh, Castaway, right? Castaway, they show him get lost on the island. Like, awesome, set it up there. Like, nope. They show him establish Wilson as a friend. They show him go from fat to skinny. Like, okay, well, we could have maybe saved this for the movie. They show him plan his escape. All right, a little too much, folks. Let's just, like, okay, you stop the trailer here. I'm, I'm going to, I'm already in. This is Tom Hanks. This is compelling. Oscar buzz. Let's, let's just stop. No, 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 no. We're going to show you. We're going to show him do his plan. We're going to show him succeed. And then when you finally watch the movie, you get to the most interesting part, which is to me, because the trailer showed everything, the most interesting part of Castaway is Tom Hanks trying to like, having PTSD, trying to get back to normal life. Like he can't sleep on beds. Like that shit was super interesting to me. That was the best part of the movie. And then the movie fucking ends. Fuck the trailers. Uh, and one of the best examples is Star Wars Episode Two, is because thankfully... Anytime they showed uh, Boba Fett, because they'd all show Boba Fett to start that trailer, I'd close my eyes and I'd cover my ears. Um, and I, I, me and my buddies would look like idiots in the theaters doing it, but we'd do it every time. But guess what? We got to be surprised by fucking Yoda walking in and doing And it sounds like it's such a stupid scene and so nerdy and in retrospect. But that was such a great fucking reveal, folks. If you got to you mean, transport yourself back to 2002 for a second. Like, that was a really big reveal. And the original trailers, thankfully, didn't have it, but all the second run of trailers and all the TV spot trailers all fucking had Yoda doing flips, which completely fucking robs you of that, especially, God forbid, you were someone invested from childhood like myself, or if you were someone who was like alive for when they were coming out and you were waiting for this and actually like a good version of Yoda and this and that, like, you just got it ruined by the fucking trailer. So that's why I say My Baby Yoda is a spoiler for people posting it. And I'm going to follow up with another unpopular opinion. I don't like Baby Yoda, folks. I think it's divisive as shit. For one, go watch Shogun Assassin or, you know, the super hipsters that showed up in my timeline. And I appreciate you all, too. The Adventures of Lone Wolf and Cub, which are the characters. Shogun Assassin, for one, it's a cult classic. It's not old like Akira Kurosawa where Star Wars steals most of their stuff, like from... And I know people are talking about Kirby and, and, and other things. and da, 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 da. Okay, I, I get all those things. I'm not denying those things, folks. When I say that Westerns, because I tweeted earlier, nothing against Mandalorian. I, I think, they're, I think it, they're, they're doing great. But this whole, like, oh, it's a Western. It's like a Western. I'm like, no, it's not like a Western. It's like a samurai film. Because Westerns, just like all of the Star Wars things, steal from the samurai genre. Uh, just like, you know, whether it was the editing and the changeover, the, win, uh, the, the, you know, the wiper transition. Um, they, which they now have like stock in your final cuts of your garage bands, folks. That was an Akurosawa tactic, which was rebrought to life there by, um, by, uh, by George Lucas, who fucking stole from him. Uh, and you know, the, the samurai, the sabers, the whole dogma of the samurai from the Jedi system, 
Like, it's very Asian, which is kind of funny. Like, we've never, you know, and I, I know I sound like a fucking old boomer. Like, I think last episode where I was like, I was just like, talk, where it, it almost sounded like I was like, there's too much diversity in the new Star Wars, shaking my fist in the air. Get off my lawn. Like, again, folks, my opinions aren't the best uh, or they don't come off the best, definitely. And so I hope I didn't come off too much like that way because I'm like, because I was listening back. I'm like, this sounds like I'm getting mad for them having diversity. Not the case at all. However, on that note, I will say it is kind of fucking annoying, like whether we're talking about the expanded EU or classic Star Wars borrowing so much from fucking Asian and samurai culture. Can we get a fucking Asian Jedi? Can we get one, please? Like, can we get just one? Like, I think like they made us the fucking banker clan or something. And like speaking of Star Wars episode, you're like, we are the banker clan. Of course, we're the banker clan. You fucking asshole, Lucas. Like racist ass shit. <laughs> and I think there might have been like one Asian Jedi in episode two in that whole like big arena fight off scene, but they get like smashed. Kind of like Michael Bay, right? Like Michael Bay, the one Hawaiian he gives a line to, the one Hawaiian they show. Because apparently, you know, Pearl Harbor took place in Vermont. There were so many goddamn white people on the island back then, according to Michael Bay. And another just one of him, George Lucas and Michael Bay, top racially insensitive filmmakers. Uh, fucking Michael Bay making making the the ethnic black robots shoot their blasters sideways and they, they can't read and they have gold plated teeth. I'm like that is so fucking racist, Michael Bay. Jesus fucking Christ. They they play rap for their me their station. I'm like we get it, Michael Bay. They're urban robots. There ra- there are less racist ways you could have gone about that. But all right, uh, just like Michael Bay in Pearl Harbor, the one Hawaiian he puts in there, he can't even finish his line because he gets hit in the head with a bottle. <laughs> Can we just, just give us one Asian Jedi? Is that is that so much? Can can we can we do that, folks? Um, so yeah, I suggest you watch Shogun Assassin because uh, he's got a little baby with him, and it's like and it's awesome. And also, like if you like if you're a fan of Tarantino or like Kill Bill, you you see where he gets a lot of his um, a lot of his uh, influence from. So it's really just a good watch. A 1980 Shogun Assassin. And I think that's what they're kind of taking a lot off of here. Uh, there is definitely a Western effect to it. I mean, that's what they're kind of using Tatooine or whatever. One of their many kind of landscapes like that. It really fits well. But I actually wrote uh, here Mad Max. I just feel like everybody's doing Mad Max. Like I watched a uh, in a zombie movie uh, that's on a lot of the streaming services like Daylight's End. Um, and that essentially reminded me of Mad Max too. That was a very Mad Max-ish story. So, I mean, everyone borrows from everybody, folks. I get it. I'm not... I'm not acting like it's something new, so I hope it doesn't come off that way. My tweets are here. I'm just saying, just, you know, it's good to have a, a recollection and of where things come from. And that's what upsets me. It upsets me that, you know, Mar- Marvel and all these universes, especially the Marvel universe is like, oh, you have to watch this, this, this to kind of understand. Like, motherfucker, if you're good, people are going to do it anyways, Motherfucker, if you have a name that has already established itself before any of the help from this bullshit help from Hollywood, it established itself from real nerds who are around as I raise my hand, real nerds who were buying the comics back in the fucking day, people are already going to want to do their research. And when I watch a movie that I don't care about or didn't do a research and it's good and you do your damn job, what it generally does is it makes people like me want to go back and go read things before. 
you know, and you're already going to have your, your crew of hipsters who'll be like, oh, I read the book before, and, you know, it's nothing like that. And that's fine. That's a whole other thing. But the, the point is, a good movie will make you do that. And a good movie, just like it did for me and many back in the day, when we would see a good movie, we would get on message boards, and we would promote and talk and do fantasy casting and get the discussion going and get momentum going, uh, and which would then, you know, on a smaller scale, some would be picked up. And whether it would be done with anything or not, it would help feed the cause to bring more movies, hence expanding your universes. You know why? Because they fucking earned it. They fucking earned it. But they're smart and they realize that because you... And again, I'm, I'm a nerd too, but this is where I kind of fall off. I'm not a, I'm, a, I'm also a hardcore contrarian. And I can, I can, I can lend, but I can criticize things that are close to me, which that's the problem here with Marvel movies. We're so attached from whatever, whether, whether it was a cartoon series, previous attempts at a movie, the comic books themselves, it doesn't matter. We all come from a different fan perspective. And I think back to the red team, blue team argument that blinds us in so many ways. And I talk about on this show, I think that blinds us here because we just can't admit when things just aren't good. Iron Man was good. Uh, there were other, you know, movies that I'm sure were good. Like, for example, X-Men 2, I like. The Days of Future Pasts, I like. Obviously, Dark Knight and the whole Nolan series, I like. The Joker, I like. Um, it's not that it's bad. It's okay. The tropes that I make fun of, it's okay. I've been watching, like, I watch rewatch Hackers. Thank you, uh, Twitter listener who recommended that. I re- went to revisit Hackers. And, like, the 90s, I love the 90s tropes. I couldn't get enough of it. And that's okay. Like, we can all be nerdy about our things. I'm not coming at anybody. I just hate the attitude and approach of this Marvel universe. And I feel like it works so well is because people, even people I love, respect, who I share similar interests with, when you touch on something that you hold close to your heart, people will defend it to the death even if it's bad. You know, one of my guitar players, TJ, he was a Transformers nerd, right? And this was back in like the mid-2000s when we had our band. And the first Transformers movie came out around then. And he was so stoked to see it. And again, for the reasons that I just said, Michael Bay is just a shit bag. And it was just a shit movie. And TJ actually had good taste in movies. He knew what good movies was. But he would defend Transformers to fucking death. He's like, no, it's a good movie. Everybody in the band, it wasn't even just Contrarian Dan. I'm like, TJ, it's a very bad movie. Like, it does not pay respect to the Transformers, the stories, the cartoon we grew up on. Like, it's a bad movie. Objectively, I don't, I don't know what we're, what we're talking about here. You know, uh, Channel LaBeouf is just freaking out the whole time, which, you know, I, was, I made, like, almost a joking meme about it back then before he became popular for that because that's what he did in every role, and apparently that's how he is in real life. Um, but, yeah, people just can't – the point of that story is just people can't let go Cause just because, you know, just because it's – Something that it represents they love doesn't mean it's good. And I think that's the, that's the problem for me. But that is what makes it work for Hollywood. And they know that. And they're just going to string all y'all along. So I'm not saying don't like it or like it. I'm just, 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 just saying be objective about it. Be objective about it. Like what you like. And vote with your, vote with your proverbial dollars there. And unfortunately, I kind of am supporting them because I'm paying for these services. But... I don't know. Between that and kind of back to the spoiler thing, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but I kind of got another spoiler from reading Damon Martin's thing because I already I already knew one character died because the spoiler as far as the, uh, the the superhero Marvel Infinity whatever, but I found out another another key figure died apparently or something too. So it's like I really have no interest to really go and watch these things now. So be responsible with your spoilers, folks. You can love 
keep loving Marvel and Star Wars to death. I do love these. I do love the characters and the universes themselves. But objectively, I hate what's being done and how they're being force fed into popular culture and how they are really manipulating uh, you, us, the audience, the fans. And just kind of our system of uh, corporatization, serialization of things you're familiar with rather than, God forbid, relying on good film. So I'm going to try to talk more about I'm, – I'm not going to beat this topic any more than I've beaten it. Um, if I do talk about movies, I'm going to try to talk about movies more like independent little gems or little things that I find – um, you know, on the internet as far as that goes. And, and again, folks, like I, I wrote Metal Gear Solid here, like I tweeted earlier, like I, I hate on the serialization or making things familiar because they know they're just going to hook us. Dude, I'm just as, I'm a, I, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't tell you I'm just as guilty, folks. Like I'm raising my hand now. They make a Metal Gear Solid movie. You bet your ass Dan Tom is going to fucking nerd the fuck out with it. Now, will I have my criticisms? Probably because I'm a fucking complainer. But So I don't think I'll go red team versus blue team. But again, I have those, Intentions too. I have the, those intentions, those feelings, those those, those react. It's human nature. I'm not not hating on it. Just we got to recognize it for what it is and do our best to be objective in this world. That's all I'm saying. Anyways, that that that's my thought on that. I'm I'm in for the Star Wars thing. Uh, I like the actor they they did for it, by the way. But it, it sucks because um, the actor they're using, the guy from Narcos and Game of Thrones, so much of this character, the Mandalorian character, is behind uh behind the mask that. His voice and his physicality is going to do it just fine, and his overall acting. But some actors are really good with their face. Like, for example, the guy they casted for Cyclops, who played Cyclops in the original X-Men series, um, Michael Martson, I think, or Scott Martson or something his name is. They really needed a guy who could really act with his face because Cyclops was going to be wearing sunglasses or visors, and your eyes are so powerful. And whether it's facial mannerisms or eyes, if you go back and watch Narcos or Game of Thrones, um, Pascal, the actor, I believe his last name is, he is really good with his face gestures. Like he's ve- he without saying things and really small. Hmm. Hmm. He's able to do that and say so much because he has all his face gestures. And what sucks about the Mandalorians, we we're not getting any of those. Now, perhaps he gets unmasked and we get more as the series goes on. But that kind of sucks. I feel like. You know, I like the choice, but it really shoots itself in the foot. They picked a, uh, they picked an actor that specializes in what he's not going to be able to do, in my opinion. He's still a good actor and will still do a great job and is doing a good job. That's my kind of criticism with that. I like the Nick Nolte. I like the, the guy, you know, or, I have spoken. I like that. Um, I like, yeah, I like the overall feel of it. Uh, I like Vanna, Vanna Herzog, creepy Vanna Herzog. Um, that's good. So again, there's good stuff in the Mandalorian. I'm in. I'm not going to be catching up on Marvel stuff though, and uh, I'll try not to beat your. I'll try not to beat your ears anymore with this. But that that that'll be it for this fun little bonus talk, folks. Hopefully you appreciated this. This will kind of fill some time. This is kind of evergreen listening between now and aside from Bellator London, which I don't think anybody really tuned in for this. You can really listen to this anytime between now and the next week and a half or so. And I don't think it should be too out of date. So uh, hopefully you guys dug this. Again, give me feedback uh, on the things I, uh, whether it's, you know, put saving movie stuff. If I do it, it won't be all the time, folks, from time to time. Save it for the end. Uh, did you like the preview and teasing of future odds on stuff like this and uh, and so on and so forth? Otherwise, I'm back on my list, folks. I'm going to get back to uh, getting the uh, upgrades that are I've been promising with YouTube moving over, getting all that stuff behind the scene, still working on the in-house studio over here. Um, Probably no episode next week. 
if I don't schedule a top five, what I will do, uh, if it'll be a late episode in the week, if I do do an episode, it, it, it might be a top five. But if I don't, what I will do is I'll do maybe a flashback top five episode to fill time. So you guys can do one of those. There's a lot of great ones that I can go and choose from. I definitely want to get back to doing more of those, but that will be in line with the studio upgrades. So uh, I, I, I may or may not see it till till next week or so. Regardless, I hope you guys are having a good break. I hope you guys are getting out there, being able to be human and such, and uh, enjoying yourselves. So um, until next time, uh, be good to one another, love your loved ones, and always protect the unnatural.